This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team. Chrysal, it's Friday, it's whatever time you want it to be, baby, and it's Dragonhearts. The other cells come back from injury, didn't last a full 90 minutes. He got a yellow card in the first half and a second after the break. It was the most calamitous shirt pulling since Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson at the Super Bowl. The Welsh Government seems to be acknowledging now that they owe us one after they, we didn't get the funding that all the other English National League teams got. So hopefully they will be able to pull in a favour. I reckon that they should make sure that every visiting team has to stay for a fortnight in a bed and breakfast in Akravaya once they enter the country. There's even talk of Wrexham hosting World Cup games in 2030. I don't know. It was expensive enough given the Wrexham Council Planning Committee and Ivor Williams trailer reach to waive the cop stand through. How expensive will diamond-encrusted Deadpool DVDs hand-delivered by Ryan Reynolds to each of the FIFA Executive Committee be? I'm not convinced. I'm Mark Griffiths, I'm joined today by Che Long and we'll be looking back on the Wheelstone game, talking to Carl Tremarco, remembering Juan Ugarte and picking our favourite all-time Wrexham five-a-side team. So, strap yourself in, it's time for Dragonheart. I'm Fiacre Kelleher and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. Yes, so welcome to Dragonheart. I'm Mark Rivers, and am I going to point in the right direction? That is Jay Long. Hi, Mark. How's it going, mate? Yeah, not too bad. All the better for seeing your back drop this week. That's a sweet historic moment, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Not, not talked about enough, I think, the Shrewsbury game before the Boston game. So, yeah, I, an iconic match for everyone who went there, really. Yeah, for, for those of you audio listeners, yeah, it's Michael Proctor scoring that winning goal at Shrewsbury, the last game at the Game Meadow, and we went and spoiled it all by doing something stupid like winning. So, yeah, fantastic. We've got plenty to talk about, even though there's only one game to talk about. It's a bit of a shock, isn't it, to only have one match to reflect back on with this packed schedule we've got. But Wheelston game, we'll look back on that. That should be pleasant. Um, we'll also be hearing from Carl Tremarco, a really interesting interview on his time at the racecourse. We'll talk about whether his second season, our first in the non-league, was a wasted opportunity to bounce straight back up. We'll also reflect on Juan Ugarte, who, well, this is the anniversary of him scoring five goals at Hartlepool. And you've been uh, responding to our shout-out for the ultimate Wrexham five-a-side team. So we'll look at what you picked and tell you what we picked as well. It's a packed agenda, so let's get cracking. After this, we'll be talking about the Wheelstone game. I'm Jordan Pondicelli, and you're listening to the Dragon Art Radio Show. Right, so only one match to talk about this week, and it was a nice one. Wheelston. Well, I said it was a nice one. By the end, it was a nice one. At half time, I think we were feeling very differently about it, weren't we? Yeah, sh- should I say it? Should I say the thing everyone says? Oh, God. Tales you have. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I, I don't think you could, um, in, in a game like that, I don't think you could describe it in any other way, could you? Yeah. The, 
because I, I remember being at the ground next to you and everyone around us, well, social distance, because we were absolutely livid, weren't we, after the first half. I think it was a, it was a pretty poor performance by pretty much everyone on the team, first half anyway. I, I just, you know, uh, I felt a bit of despair at the end of that half. I've got to be honest with you, because it sort of started off okay-ish, but Wilson started controlling the ball and keeping the ball in our half. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not comfortable with that. But I, I think we were trying to knock it over the top for Thomas and Angus. It wasn't really working, but I thought, all right, well, we can settle into this. They're not threatening us. And then they go and get the goal. And at that point, I, I just thought for, for a while, we looked all at sea and I started thinking, oh boy, this is poor, you know. I mean, as you know, some of the performances lately that people haven't been happy about, I've been a bit more happy about. I've, I've you know, we both felt like I've seen the, the two sides of those performances, but this one, there was no excuse. I mean, Wheelstone were just in awful form. Um, I, I don't think they're a particularly good team, if I'm perfectly honest. And they were starting to dictate the terms and we didn't look to have anything to come back at them. And I really, really started worrying. Although, just at the end of the half, we did the last five minutes with a decent spell. And that just lifted me a little bit, but I was still very concerned at half-time, though. Yeah, I, I was horrendously concerned because I thought, I thought, you know, we were playing pretty bad, but we were keeping them at bay. And the, the goal we conceded was just very sloppy. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was just... Oh, I don't know. We just couldn't seem to string a pass together either, could we, in the first half? Uh, Doral looked like he was running around a little bit aimlessly. But, yeah, the first half happened. There. I'd happily forget about that first half. But the second half, we literally looked like a completely different side, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just to think, just one last thing on the first half as well, but just to, to show that contrast. I mean, I think you missed Hall Johnson on the right massively. Yeah. And... As well, like I say, I mean, in the first half, I mean, Durrell was an interesting call. He'd not started in 10 games. And in that first half, it wasn't working for him. And, and I was openly saying in the commentary, he might not come out for the second half. Um, but then those things addressed themselves. Durrell, to be fair, came out and had a good second half. And, yeah. uh, and I always like that in a player. You know, you can't get into things properly. So you roll your sleeves up and you get into it. Uh, I think, with hindsight, obviously, um, I think it was wise to keep the same eleven, having ripped into them, no doubt, at half-time, and told them, go on, show what you're actually about. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, the, the loss of Hall Johnson is a blow, clearly, but in that spell, just for half-time, we started to get Tyler French into the game higher up the pitch, and he was massive in the second half. He actually, Hall Johnson's style, had ended up with two assists, Although very, very varied assists. I mean, the first one is your classic, fantastic drilled cross for Kwame Thomas to score. Uh, and the second one was a good long ball down the flank to give Angus something to fight for. But the defender really screwed her up. It's an assist because the defender somehow managed to get underneath a long ball, try to play it three times and not actually touch it, which is, which is a fair feat. But again, it showed, I think, at this level, you can force other sides to make mistakes. Yeah, I, th I think, I think as well. I think Wheelstone were really high getting that, that, that first goal, and, yeah. coming, and then coming to the second half, they conceded straight away, and you could just see their heads drop as well, mm. couldn't you? Yeah, and it just played right into right into our hands. I think 
I thought Tyler French did a fantastic job covering Rhysol Johnson. He's a different style of right wing back, isn't he? He's more like a because he is a centre back, but he's physical and he's fast. And that, as you said, that low driven cross was was a beautiful assist, wasn't it? And it was. I'm not sure if the cameras picked it up, but the passion from him when the goal went in as well was brilliant. He looked he looked elated with the goal. So, it, very very happy. And we got to talk about the second goal because I thought that was beautifully well worked. Fantastic, that wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I can't remember who it was who said, but somebody was quite near Carl Darlington when we got that corner, and Darlington was calling. Or because remember that the the management team have all got earpieces, so they're all linked together with the analyst up on the gantry, and apparently Darlington was saying, "Get Doral out of the penalty spot." Because we can play that one, <laughs> the one we've worked on straight to Luke Young, and then as he was saying it, he's always done it. So on the pitch, the players made a good call there. And yeah, it was beautifully worked. And then, of course, you want a chance like that, frankly, to fall to Luke Young because from that sort of range, he strikes the ball so cleanly, doesn't he? Oh, he if he has a shot on goal, if it's hitting the target, there's a very, very... It's, it, you, you usually have to force a really good save out the keeper, don't you, to stop the goal. And for me, that was an unstoppable shot. And for me, the way, the way it was... Um, the whole goal was where me was one most probably the most satisfying goal of the season mm. just because I was straight out of the training ground you could tell that was exactly what they've been working on all week and then it was just nice for us to be off 2-1 up just that little bit of breathing room there and I thought oh we're going to win this game so honestly I thought we could have well I was thinking oh we could be 2-3 down because that in all fairness after the first half it's all fairness there Mendy is, it, is he their right winger yeah yeah is it who was their centre midfielder who played really well as well? I forgot his name. Uh, anyway. Oh, it's just, just a memory of an old man here. <laughs> I'll have a quick look at their team. <laughs> uh, I think I had, well, anyway, yeah, I think um, he had a... He, he was play, he was tearing us to pieces. I was looking at him and I thought, oh, he, he, mm. he looked like a good player that I quite like at Wrexham. Yeah. But yeah. And, anyway, I, I thought as soon as the third goal went, went, went in as well, that was just really satisfying wasn't it and it was just yeah. oh we won I knew when the third goal and it was a weird goal wasn't it because the defender should have done a, a lot better but we were in control and we were the better side but then it was just a lot of relief wasn't it oh massively massively we just looked so different compared to the first half not not just because like I say French was was starting to get into the game um, was it Smith the midfielder Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was having a good game as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they, uh, it wasn't, ju- uh, it wasn't like I said, some elements of our improvements were showing at the end of the first half, but we were just in their half, pressuring them. And like I said before, you put National League teams under pressure and you may just force errors. Um, I felt, I wasn't quite sure about this. Um, during the first half, I, I thought it was noticeable how little we were pressing them in their half. And I wondered why that was. And I, I wondered if that was a, co- a part of the whole, you know, you can't knock the ball over the top if they're sitting in. So yeah. you invite them out a bit and then you can knock it over the top of them. Because I just looked at, there were, there were a lot of times when their defenders were moving it around in their own half and our strikers just dropped to the halfway line. There was no interest in pressing them at all. And I thought that was... Yeah, I'm, I'm not stupid. I, I, you don't chase the ball every single time. You, there are periods in games where the defence can pass the ball around, but it didn't look like us taking a breather. 
it looked like us waiting, asking them onto us so we could then knock it in behind them, it looked like to me. Second half, totally different. We just lived in their half and we were putting pressure yeah. on them all the time. The number of times you won the ball back in dangerous positions in their half was terrific because we were making them make mistakes. And I was really pleased with that. And of course, we, we, we were able to join up with the strikers better, give them better service. And to be fair to Thomas and Angus, I think they're a good pair. And if you give them decent service, they will bring each other in, they'll bring other people in, and, and we start looking threatening. Well, another thing I'd like, I 100% agree, it was very well put. And, um, uh, one thing I'd like to say as well, I think a lot of the fans have crit criticism keep saying that he can't motivate the players. Mm. Uh, but for me, after the first half, coming into the second half, they look so fired up. Mm. And it was the same in the Weymouth game as well, wasn't it? So I think yeah. it's quite the opposite. I think Dean Keats does a fantastic job on motivating the players at times. And I, I, I just think it was, it, was, it was just so different from the first half. I, I've never quite seen a game like that. You don't see the games like that very often, do you? Where it's literally two, the rest look like two completely different sides. But one elephant in the room we'd like to, I'd like to address was that Vassal got sent off. Yeah, yeah. We did a good portion of the game with 10 men as well, didn't we? So yeah. what, what's your thoughts on Vassal's first performance back? Were you, were you slightly disappointed or was it, was the red card disappointing? Or? I, I, I felt happy with his performance. I thought the defence yeah. um, had to do well. <laughs> I was hoping it wouldn't have to against them. But uh, the first half, the defence had to work. Um, sec but the, the red cards, well... It's funny, actually. I see it the opposite way around to Dean Keats, to be honest. I, I see that Keats is basically saying the first one's yellow and the second one is, or, you know, isn't really a yellow. Um, the first one, I, I'm undecided about the first one, I've got to say. Um, I, he, he doesn't really seem to make any attempt to play the man. He's, he's sort of caught out, isn't he, by the ball over the top. So it's his mistake in the first place. The ball goes over the top of him. And he's caught out by it. He maybe should have been a bit more aware. There's a player coming in on the diagonal behind him. And then he turns. And oh, I don't know, at first, you know, if I'm being generous, does he sort of not fully realise the bloke's there until it's too late, collides with him and there's nothing deliberate? Because there's no, like, you know, I've looked at it a few times. There's, there's, there's no deliberate movement to take him out. But on the other hand, you know, if you're a centre-back, you might be cute in that situation. And just decide, oh, well, I'll not go for him, but my momentum will carry me into him. I'll knock him down anyway. I might not get away with this. So 50-50, probably the ref's right. I feel the second one's definitely yellow. I mean, for me, he's got you up the pitch. You on a T-shirt, can you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, generally, grabbing someone's shirt when they're running past you is a yellow. Um, it's not an attempt to play the ball. He's, he's pinged the ball in, trying to link up going forwards, which is good. And I think he's perfectly capable of doing that. Uh, we've lost possession. He's now 15 yards into their half, marooned. They got a breakaway on. And so, you know, if he wasn't on the yellow, you'd say he took one for the team there. He's just grabbed the guy and stopped him going past. As he's on the yellow, he should let him go past. Because you know, what's the worst that can happen? It'll, you know, it'll be 3-2. And we're still on top of the game. And we've still got chances to stop them from scoring. So... Yeah, to me, once you if you're on a yellow and you make that challenge, you, you're off. But I was happy with his performance. I thought he looked, you know, coming back from an injury, I thought he slotted straight in. Uh, my only concern is it's a shame he'll miss the Sutton game because that's a that's a proper match. It's exactly what I was about to say. I said that that's, it was worrying, thinking, oh, 
oh no, we have Sutton next, who are, you could argue, with their games in hand, and they're the best team in the league at the yeah. moment, aren't they? Yeah. So we would need a full, full strength side for that. I and mean, we don't know whether we saw John- Johnson's back. I don't know. Keith Slater keeps his card, goes to the chair. Yeah, yeah. So maybe we'd have to do- drop Tyler French back into centre back and put Horsfield on at right wing back for that game, maybe. I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not the manager. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, it was frustrating to see him get a red because I think once all our back, all our defenders are back fit, we'd have a very strong defensive unit in Kelleher, Vassell, and Tyler French at centre backs. I think that's a that's a very good back three, yeah. isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be honest, I mean, although yeah, Vassell is a, an excellent centre back, and when the team settles and he's fit and available, surely he's in the team. The truth is that this the back three that you mentioned that we might be have to play is one that's done very well for us in the last sort of yeah. six, seven, eight games. It's it's been very effective. So it's maybe not the biggest disaster. It's nice to to see players coming back and for us to have competition for places though. And also, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a strange one, isn't it? Because Sean um, Sean Pearson, Dean Keats has been quite rightly praising Mark Carrington this week in the press. Uh, because he's been fantastic playing at centre-back. And, yeah, I mean, he's... It's weird to think, I mean, he could be fighting then to get a place somewhere else in the team, considering how really well he's played. And the last two matches, I think, particularly the Hartlepool game and the Wheelstone game, oh, he's he's been outstanding for me. Oh, yeah, he's he's been brilliant. Don't don't get me knock. I'm not knocking Carrington at all. Um, I I just personally think that, you know, Vassal, Calher and... French are our best back three. And mm. you've got to forget, we were forgetting about Pearson as well. Yeah, it's yeah. mad, isn't it? It feels like it's been an eternity. And they've been promising playing. sounds coming from about him that, that he might be back in a few weeks. It's better than people expected. It's fantastic. It's fantastic, but I know it sounds, might sound brutal because he's a fan favourite, but I don't see how he could get back in the team because Kelleher, he'd, he'd be playing in Kelleher's role, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think Kelleher is oh well, he's a fantastic. I think he's a fantastic centre back. Reminds me of Brian Carey. He, he's just he's just brilliant. And also one player we haven't even mentioned yet, and I can't believe we haven't mentioned is Kwame Thomas. Hell yeah, that guy scored too. Yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> he's he was outstanding on Saturdays in the second half, wasn't yeah. he? He's on fire now, isn't he? I mean, he's really doing well. I'm so glad he's scoring goals. He's now scored twice as many goals this season as he has in any season of his career. Most he'd scored in the season before this year was four. And now he's got eight. And, uh, I mean, he's a lovely bloke, actually, so I'm glad for him in that respect. But, yeah, he's, he's just... He links well with Angus as well, doesn't he? Having two players who are able to, to stretch the defence like that is causing teams problems. Uh, and Thomas is a good all-round striker, isn't he? He can hold the ball up. He, he's terrific in the air. And he attacks a six-yard box. The only thing we need to add now is maybe getting a few more crosses in for him to attack with his head, because in pre-season, he looked very good at that. Um, but no, I mean, uh, all power to him. He's he's done fantastically well for us. Oh, uh, well, and he's also good with the ball. His feet dribbling as well, which is a man of his size. He seems to have everything. He's one of the top strikers in the league at the moment, I'd say, yeah. quite easily. But I think that is credited to 
having Diorangas come in, who's yeah. also got equal amount of quality and does a lot of the hard work. So I really, really do like that striking mm. partnership. And, and he almost got a hat-trick, didn't he? Oh, that was just so cruel, that was. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, he deserved to get a hat-trick, didn't he? And he's been on a hat-trick a couple of times this season there. And, oh, I mean, that was doubly heartbreaking for me because, firstly, Thomas just misses out on his hat-trick twice in the six-yard box. And then, after that, you've got um, the ball coming back in. And Ponticelli, you know, the one thing we're more desperate for than Thomas getting a deserved hat-trick, Ponticelli scoring, and he heads it just wise. Oh, that I, was painful. I didn't know what I wanted more. I didn't know what I wanted more, Ponticelli yeah. to score or Kwame <laughs> Thomas to get his hat-trick. But... I think Ponte, I think Ponticelli played played okay when he came on as well. Yeah. yeah. The second half performance was outstanding. And mm. I think what a, what a performance to have, especially after the first half, leading to such a huge game this Saturday. Yeah. I, I'm curious about it as well. People keep talking quite rightly about the difference between first and second half performances this season. It's not always the case. We have had some good first halves. I'm just wondering if a pattern starting to form here where we actually are a squad that's better suited to getting at teams than, than sitting back. I know we've got a good defence, but that you know, the first half we were maybe a little bit passive. If my theory is correct that we were trying to bring them onto us a bit so we can knock over the top, that you know, it, uh, it didn't suit us us to be so passive in that sense. And we are better off actually when we try and really go at a team. I mean, you mentioned Weymouth as well. There's another example of Okay, the first half was awful. We're gonna to have to sort this out, get in there, and throw well, you know, throw caution to the wind. And when we start doing that, when you've got wing backs tearing up and down the line, when you've got Thomas causing problems in the box, uh, th- then things start to happen. So we can be adopted yeah, more of an aggressive tone at the start, perhaps. Maybe it's like a rope a dope sort of strategy yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it sort of is, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. It, I, I just can't honestly. I can't say much much better things about the second half. But yeah, any of any of the notable notable performances you'd like to talk about from the team? Um, I mean, midfield picture. Oh, there were a lot of like half performances. Right? The first half didn't quite work. Second half, then Jordan Davis played a, a lot of good challenges. When I went back and looked at my notes before doing the sort of post match podcast. I realised how many involvements he'd had in starting moves. I, I, you know, I, I hadn't had many sort of killer passes or shots on goal, but when I started looking at my notes, a number of times it's like Davis won the ball or Davis played the person then who put a cross in, and you know he he did a very good job. I thought uh, the other thing, of course, you have mentioned that bizarre instance at the start where we thought we'd scored. Uh, we were all convinced we'd scored. A records corner hit the far post. Kelleher couldn't quite reach it on the way in and then somehow it didn't hit him and go in on the way back out, which I think is another element to why we sometimes have disappointing first halves because we often start a game well but don't take our chances, although I admit that one was more of a freak occurrence and because the ball, you know, if that one had gone in then, I think we may have absolutely hammered Wilson, to be honest with you but it didn't and so we, we had to wait till the second half to start going. There have been a few games this season, Altrincham Mahomes, another example. We've done well to start off with, but the chances aren't converted. And we, and we then find ourselves chasing the game. But I think Wheelston are a better side than most give credit for as well. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they beat Bournemouth the other day. 
Yeah. And they're a good side, Boromud, at the moment. Um, 1 0. So, I, uh, if Wheels can carry on winning their games, it makes the 4 1 result that we had look a lot better. Then you've got to be even more happier with it. Because I think people look at Wheelston and think, oh, we should be, we should be smashing these. Um, but yeah, for us to get the result, 4 1, home. That'll do, leading us into the Sutton game, which I thought was going to be this Tuesday. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's Saturday. So, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add? What was your feeling, overall thoughts and feelings on the Wilson game as a whole? Um, I'm delighted with it, simply because the second half sort of wipes out the first half and gives us uh, momentum. And confidence. Uh, it doesn't matter who you beat, you can only beat who's put in front of you. Although you are quite right to point out, people shouldn't underestimate Wheelston. They nearly won at Torquay a couple of weeks ago as well. They'd come to the game off a draw against Eastleigh, who were in good form. Uh, yeah, uh, you're quite right. I just think they're a little vulnerable at the back, uh, but they can take the game two teams. And as you said before, Jacob Belmondi, I was saying in commentary, yeah, buy him for next season. <laughs> you know, he looks really good. But... Yeah, the thing is, it, it creates momentum and confidence. You can see Thomas' confidence is absolutely coursing through him, and he's up for it. And when you go into a big game like going to Sutton, uh, you, you need that confidence. Uh, of course, uh, everyone, if you want a bit more detail on that Sutton game, our preview podcast will be coming out as well. Well, by the time this is published, will have come out, um, where we'll, we'll go through that game and say what we're expecting from it. But... Yeah, it, I just say, I'm just happy that it, it builds confidence and positivity, and we are now. I mean, we, we said this after we lost, didn't we? Um, when you lose, you got to start keep going, and we've only lost one in well, the time seven. We now lost one in eight. That, that's that's how you get promoted. Just every after every game, your total's a bit higher than it was last time. You just keep grinding away, and certainly if you achieve that, you're certainly going to come top seven, which will put you in the playoffs. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty positive about that. That's good. Well, definitely, and I think the result against Wheelston puts us in a good place yeah. to just have a positive result for Sutton. So if we don't, if we don't win, if we just avoid losing to Sutton. It even put, it puts us in a really good position. Yeah. So yeah, I'm happy with just these. I'm happy with these sort of clubs where we're just chipping away at teams mm. and we're getting points on the board. There's no outstanding team in this division except possibly Sutton. I admit. Um, you know what I'd say about Torquay if you ask me. They're not going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to win it. Um, yeah. In fact, Sutton could over could overtake them on Saturday if they beat us. So, yeah, th- there's nothing to fear. I don't think in this division, all teams are erratic. We're one of them. Teams that pick up form at this point will be in with a big shout of promotion, and we seem to be picking up some momentum. So, yeah, it's quite promising. I hope. Well, <laughs> from from momentum, we'll go to a time in the club's history when, sadly, that was that was lacking. Uh, Carl Tramarco joined the club during our relegation season from the Football League in the January. And actually, I mean, I mentioned this in the interview. I, I didn't realise until I looked at it that his his stats are actually very good in terms of results, which you wouldn't think. We actually did have a bit of a renaissance in the second half of that season, but it wasn't enough. Um, but anyway, I caught up with Carl, who had some fascinating things to say uh, about his time at the race course. And so after this, you'll be hearing from Carl Tremarco. I'm Kerry Evans, and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio Show. 
Oh, well, firstly, Carl, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. You, you came to Wrexham under Brian Little in a, at a, a, a sort of crazy time. We're, we're bottom of the league. Um, 13 players came in during that transfer window. It was, uh, and yet it, I think it, it started off quite optimistically, I think, didn't it? Uh, yeah, well, the, the thing we first game actually played, we, we, we beat MK Dons at home, 1-0, if I remember rightly, and they were top of the league. Um, but yeah, I come, obviously, I knew Brian at, at Tramia, um, and uh, he, when he left there, Ronnie Moore took over at Tramia, and actually, he didn't want me to leave Ronnie Moore, but at the time, I, I mean, the age I was at, you know, I was in and out of the team, and I just wanted to play regular week in, week out. Um, because my career kind of stalled at that point, um, so so yeah, I just I seen as a great opportunity just to go and play regular games. Um, obviously disappointed how the season panned out in the end, but it, it was an opportunity for me to to go and play regularly for at least what, four or five months before the, before the season finished. I mean, it's it started like you said so positive that win over MK Dons was by far and away the best performance of the season, and actually when you look at our results at the end. I was a little surprised looking back at it this morning that we, we actually did, finished the season pretty well. You played in 10 games and we got, I think it's, we won four of them, drew four of them and, and only lost two, which considering what had gone beforehand, because I mean, we were, we were terrible that season. You know, we only won 10 games all season. We got four of them just in that 10 game period. We, we weren't necessarily playing like a relegation team then, were we? Uh, no, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, like the first, Six months or before January, obviously I was at Tramia, so I didn't. I did keep an eye out just because Brian Little was my ex-manager, so you know you always tend to keep an eye out on what you know your, your fellow colleagues are up to and whatnot. So I always did keep an eye out, but not to an extent where I'd seen how poor or bad Brexit were up until up until January. And don't get me wrong, we weren't we weren't amazing from January onwards because obviously we went down at the end of the season, but there was definitely an improvement um, enough so that the board would decide to keep him on. Um, in the conference, um, but yeah, I think the last game of the season was Lincoln. Lincoln yeah, away. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We 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 turned them over as well. Like, yeah. You're right, though. There was some. There was some. Because I think it was York. Was it York City away? Was when the, the final nail was put Hedford. in the coffin. I think. Hereford. Yeah, Hereford. Hereford yes, yeah, I, was, yeah. I was injured. I was yeah. injured that game, so I actually went down there. Um, so York City were in the conference game of the season after. Um, yeah, I was injured that game, so I actually went down there, but I just remember seeing on the scores, obviously, they all coming in and just thought, oh, geez, you know, it's it's first relegation on me on my CV, which was not nice, which was not yeah. nice at all. I mean, I, I was, you could perhaps argue that if it wasn't for you and Danny Sonner getting injured when you did, which was like, I remember you got your first knock at the Morecambe game and then you got another injury maybe we'd have got a few extra points. You know, who knows? Because you, you were making an influence at left-back. Uh, Sonna looked like the sort of foot-on-the-ball midfielder that, that you, know, you don't usually get at clubs down at that level. Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, could have, would have, and what ifs yeah. and buts, and, you know, it's everyone can say that in hindsight, they've done this and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but I, remember, I remember Danny Sonna, I remember at the time thinking he was just coming to the end of his career, but mm. I do remember thinking he, he had the old head on and... Mm. He did bring a common influence to young boys around because we did have young boys. Yeah. We had young boys around, and um, I think it was Flemo, and there was a boy uh, Levi Macken. You know, they just break into the team, and, and they were good players. Um, and he was he was the right mould for them to you know to, to kind of keep them to keep them on on the side that we need to because everyone needs to be pulling in the right direction when it's in a, mm-hmm. when you're in a dogfight and that. And yeah, and, and I remember when we lost him, 
yeah, there was just something in there that that wasn't wasn't quite working, mm. which was which was a shame. But you know, you need you need luck when you're down there as well, and and, and luck is, you know, keeping everyone fit as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a positive from that time, you've uh, you've played in a derby win at Chester. <laughs> that, was, that was nice. Yeah, yeah, no, like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you you. The thing that sticks in my head about you is your your competitiveness and your your will to win, and so winning a game in that atmosphere. That must have been pretty sweet. Yeah, it was. It was. And, and, and I can tell you, they are feisty derbies, aren't they? Yeah. My dad was actually... Um, it, I don't know what the crack was with the ticket allocation, but I know Rexton weren't allocated tickets. And the only reason I got a ticket for my dad was Kevin Ellison. Yeah, yeah. Was at Chester at the time. And my dad had to sit in the Chester end and the dog's abuse he was getting was ridiculous. Like, he was nearly fighting. He was nearly fighting because obviously, I mean, he wasn't stupid enough to start cheating him down when, when Rexham scored and that, but I think it cottoned on, like, he's not on our side here and a few of the, few of the locals weren't too happy with him and stuff, but no, um, that was a, that was a highlight. It was a highlight of that season. Yeah, I remember 2-0, Paul Hall. Did Hall get two that game? Yeah, and Paul got one. I think Michael Proctor, did he get the other did one? Proctor get one, yeah. Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good day. Away, the DV was a good day, though. I'll tell you that I feel I feel his pain because every time we play at Chester, <laughs> the, the press box is just the back row of the stand, and so I'm getting excited when we score, and I'm surrounded by Chester fans. But <laughs> they're not too bad. They must be the posh ones in the stand. They're not. They're generally all right. You know. <laughs> now the next season, of course. I mean, and this again, another thing I think people forget. We started really well. I remember we were, what seventh game of the season, something like that. We won at Salisbury four-one. We were on top of the table. Um, the first game of the season, we played Stevenage, Stevenage. who do go yeah, up and who are the favourites, and we battered them five 0 I mean, at that point, yeah. you must have been thinking, "Oh, this is going to be okay. We can get, we can get up here." Yeah, and again, I, like I remember specifically after that game, like I was one, I was one of them. I was saying vocally, like, "Listen, just this is a game. This is a one-off game. You, you see strange results at the first game of the season, any anyhow." So I was like. This doesn't mean it's going to be as easy as you think because I actually remember how easy that game finished. Half an hour to go, it was literally just passing, passing. And I was quite surprised because I thought Stevens were going to be a strong team. But I said straight after the game, that's not going to be the reflection of the season. It's not going to be like that. So if you get down your heads, you need to lose that straight away because it's not. Um, yet we had a good start to the season. Um, and, and and obviously, you know, it, it dwindled away. Mm. It was weird because like, it's a... We went top at Salisbury. Mm-hmm. Just over three weeks later, Brian Little's gone. And and when you look at the results, all right, I've just got him in front of me. We lost our own to Burton, but they won the league that year. We lost at Cambridge. Well, Wrexham losing at Cambridge is fairly normal, to be honest. The thing that, I mean, beat Ebbsfleet. And yet the thing that really seemed to make it like a, 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 a change of attitude at the club was when we lost the Greys. I don't know if maybe people at the club fans felt... You ought to win somewhere like that. You know what I mean? But I remember that was the game where yeah. Evan suddenly got very negative about things. I remember, I remember, it was a graze away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that game because my missus was about to, my missus was actually, I think she was due to give birth that day. And I remember having, um, I remember me having the, my phone on the sideline and my phone went off. Mm. So I remember that game and my head was a bit, I was a bit um, scrambled thing. And do I need to leave you because, it, you know, I didn't want to, yeah. I didn't obviously want to miss the birth and stuff, but I, and I also remember after the game, I think it was Big Kempson, Big Darren Kempson, mm. 
stood on the halfway line and he was just like staring into the fans. Mm. And I was like, big man, what are you doing? I was like, I said, what are you doing? You, you're just going to provoke fans and, you know, we've just been beat, you know, take it on the chin and, and take the criticism that we're going to get because everyone's rightly so can have an opinion on, on, on football matches. And at the minute, mate, we've just lost to Grace mm. and we're favoured to go up, you know, take it on the chin and, and, and let's go. Yeah. But yeah, it was strange, and, and and I was very I was very surprised when the gaffer left. To be fair, I was I was disappointed because I, I haven't worked with him before. I knew what he was capable of, and I just thought the first sign of a little bump in the road, they were they were they were, they were quick to, to get get shook. Whether whether it was premeditated with Dean Saunders and, and you know the the order they had them in line. As soon as you know the boat gets rocked, we'll bring Saunders in. But yeah, it seemed to happen so quick. Mm. Which I was disappointed with, to be fair. I always remember because at that time I was almost like a one-man media team. Really, we got a lot more people working now, thank goodness. Um, and I, while commentating, I had a decent camera, and I'd sometimes try and take some photos, like you know, while I was talking. And I took probably the best one I ever took was one of, of yourself. After we'd let a goal in, you looked just gutted. And then in the background, you can see the club owners standing in the in, in on the terrace behind, deep in conversation. It felt like a sort of it summed it all up. This was a bad result. The players were feeling it. And then in the background, the owners were talking about the future. Um, we played Rushton in midweek, lost 3-0 at home. Brian went at the end of that week. And I, I'll be honest with you, I've never felt, I don't know, watching the game, that Rushton match, it just felt like they're not, they're, I don't know how to say this really, but they, I, I just felt they're going to change him now. They're not. Good. This is going to be the end for him. It was a, such an empty performance in a way. And I just thought, they'll, they'll take this as the final straw for him, I think, because we really didn't... Yeah, you, you can... Obviously, playing, I've played the game, what, 20-odd years now, and, and, and performances can say a lot. You know, say we'd have lost that game 3-2 with a fighting spirit. Yeah. He, he could have still got the sack. He could have still got the sack, but the owners' minds might have been made up. But, yeah, I remember that game. and I'm sure I played seven half. Did I play seven and a half? Or we played three at the back. I think we changed formation or something. Like and yeah, and 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 we were. It was it was just a bad day. And, and like I think I think everyone knew. Everyone knew then that, that, that maybe the writing was on the wall. But again, I still think it was. I still think it was too quick. I still think. See, the problem you got with the, with the conference is, it's game after game after game after game. You don't get like Saturday, Saturday, Saturday. So you get a week to prepare. It's always Saturday, and then more often than not, it's Tuesday. So. Whatever went wrong on a Saturday, you've only got maybe a day you need to recover and you've only got a day maybe to work on things. And I just don't think he had that time for the full week sessions and working on shape and defensive whatever and, and then going from Saturday Saturday. So, yeah, so it was what it was. And, and, and yeah, and unfortunately, Brian Little's time was up. Yeah. And, and as well, probably didn't help him that there was such a big churn of players, like I say, brought in a loss in the window you came in. Then we had another overhaul in the summer. Um uh, and and he, we would be looking for a formation that would work as well, so we would alter things sometimes. I mean, I think that must have been difficult for everybody, like trying to trying to settle on something. Yeah, there was there was a big turnover, and like you said, in, in the January before we went down, and, and obviously in the summer. Um, and I think you you kind of you do feel responsible when the manager you know brings you in personally, and um, and it doesn't work out for them, and then you know you you still got your job, and, and you know the manager falls by the wayside. It's you do take it to heart a little bit, and plus having the fact that I'd known him for a few years anyway, you know, giving me debut in professional football, so I was quite close to him. Um, but yeah, it was just 
maybe I don't know. It's, it's hard to put a finger on it. Maybe there was too big of a turnover of players, and but you know, like I guess said before, it's all hindsight and, and whatnot. And but even when Dean Son was going, like you said, there was there was another big turnover. <laughs> there, was an, there, there was another big turnover, and like I said that mainly Brian Little's Brian Little's players, you know, fell by the wayside, and, and he brought in all his new players, which is you know what new managers do. Well, I was I was going to say that. I mean, you're absolutely right. As Saunders comes in, there's a huge turnover going on before the transfer window happens, and then in the transfer window as well. And uh, and it really, I'll be honest, surprised me enormously that you were one of the players who seemed to go by the wayside. He brought in Sam Williamson, who's a good left back. Good left back. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I never understood at the time. I thought, well, we've got a good left back. You <laughs> know, maybe there's other areas we could look at. And yeah, you you seem to fall out of favour with him, which yeah was a shock to me. It, it happens. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I was just dis- I was seeing disappointed. I and mean, what I will say though is that I didn't. I, I still trained the, the same way, and, and even though he brought in another left back and, and he promoted Neil Taylor, which you can say was a good brilliant move. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Tim Man's had a great career and stuff, so yeah, fair play. But yeah, the the, the Sam Williamson one was like. Right, okay, well, where does that leave me then? And then as it turned out, I ended up going to Darlington on loan, mm. um, which was brilliant for me. I lasted, I think I only lasted a month there, and then they went into administration, so I had to come back. And then this was in Darlington in League Two at the time, sitting third, and I was thinking, well, how come I can't get a game for Wrexham, but I can get a game for, for, for Darlington? It was it was frustrating. And again, I come full circle again and my career started kind of stumbling. And then the problems, I started having problems with Dean Sons because he wouldn't, when I when I come back home from Darlington, I spoke to him, I played one game, we played Northwick, Victoria, the way we won 2-1, played in that game. That could have been the last game I actually ever played for Wrexham. Yes, it was, yeah. 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 Um, and that was it. There's mm. no, like, and I was like, well, I'm gone. Okay, so I went and seen him, had the conversations, and he, he, he didn't give me any state answers. And, and he had an assistant, Terry Darricott, who, who, who just didn't get on with the tour, which I thought it would, actually, because he was a scout said I thought, yeah, we've got a bit in common and stuff. And I'm old school, and he was old school, but he was old, old school. <laughs> and, like, we just clashed. We just didn't get on, and which was fine. It happens. Um, so, anyway, so I went back in, and, and I had a chance to go to Macclesfield on loan. And that's when the problem started because he wouldn't let me. And I was like, well, well what do you want me for then? I'm not even sub. I'm, I'm in the, you're making me, tra- you made me travel to Ebb Street away. And I was in the stand and I was like, why, why are you doing this to me? Let, let me leave. I'll rip my contract and I'll walk. No problem. Again, I, I, I was training. I was trying to do things right. Same things happened where he tried to, the coaching staff tried to belittle me a little bit. And, you know, I'm not going to stand for that. So I ended up saying stuff and then we had a big falling out in front of everyone and, and, and it wasn't nice. And then come, then that was it. I sat on my backside all season, mm. which was disappointing. Tried to get out on loan, which he wouldn't let me. And then the summer come and, and again, he had no intentions to let me leave. So like, it was a case of where I had to say, listen, like, I'll have to down tools and, and, and what, what, what do you want me to do? You, you, he, he had me, he had me by the, you know, Crown Jewels and I couldn't do nothing about it and I was just so frustrated because I had the option to leave and he, and he wouldn't let me go but I didn't understand why because you know I was I think I was one of the highest paid as well I was like you can get me off the wage bill and 
you know, no hard feelings. It is what it is. It happens in football. But for some reason, yeah, I'm not sure. Whether it was a power thing, I don't know. And he liked having control, but he, he just wouldn't let me go. It's just strange to me. Well, I'll back you up with the figures here. Like I said, I've got the spreadsheets of all the games. The last 34 games of that season, you started one and you were a sub in one, which is, you know, you were fit. It's just, you know, for a senior player who's shown the quality, yeah. that you clearly there's something else going on, isn't there? And there were a few players that, that a lot of fans thought were, were getting frozen out because there was so much, this huge bloated playing staff with all, all these big turnovers all the time. That season is the season we we played more players in that season in any other season in Wrexham's history. And the year before was the second most players in, in Wrexham's history. Yeah. Shows the number of players who came in. and Yeah. Shows how much money the club must have wasted. Yes. Yeah. On, 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 on wages and, on, mm. do you know what I mean? And I, I remember in that the summer after the first season of the conference it is, I think a, a lot of us ended up getting paid up. But it was by... I, I ended up getting a pay up for doing something like I didn't hate to do and I had to literally down tools and I had to like I fell out with them all I was like I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I'm not doing it I had a, a Macclesfield want to sign me you're not letting me go like what, what, what what's, what's what's the problem um, they had us in over the summer um, they made us give, he made us this was all the players who weren't involved by the way like he had he had his team and a squad which is fine and then he had his Reserves and the ones who we didn't want, and us lot would in every Sunday after the game while the lads who were involved on a Saturday were off. Um, and then during that summer, Dean someone has made us give our holiday dates in, and and then we every day we went on holiday, we were in training, and I just like that was that was the, that what killed me, and I was like, nah, I can't, I can't stand for that, like especially for someone who's actually wanting to leave. Mm. Um, so yeah, so. Unfortunately enough, for down tools and 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 but it worked. And in the end, I got I got a call and then that was it. My time was up and I was away and I was okay. No hard feelings. I've actually I've seen things on the since and I was quite I was quite taken back by him. And it was like you treated me pretty poor, if I'm being honest. Um, I, I don't mean like not playing and stuff. Like you no, know, if you didn't rate me to play, that's fine. That's fine. Like you said, like that happens in football. But it was the fact the way you treated me around the place and. He didn't let me leave to, to, to move on, which was strange anyway. And I seen him again and he was all buddy buddy and pally pally and I was like, Okay. <laughs> like, it was strange. I mean I was fine with him and I was like, you know, wish them all the best of the season, one of them, but it's like just strange. It was just strange. And like I always I've always got a bit of taste in that because I was part of the team that fell into the conference and and I cannot believe they're still there. Yeah. Like I cannot believe it. And and that's something I'm thinking. I was part of that because they're a huge, huge club. So like massive, brilliant club, brilliant fan base. Shouldn't be in, shouldn't be in the conference. And I, I'm like, and yeah, yeah, I got a bit of taste. I was part of that, even if it was what four months towards the end of that League Two season, and we fell into the conference. Well, I, like you said about the, the bloated wage bill. I mean, that's a big part of why I think we went down and stayed down was the financial mm-hmm. problems at the club. I mean, did that did that. You know, did the players feel that or or not? You know, sometimes I think players might be a little bit cocooned from those sort of things. If the pay comes in, you know, you're all right. Does that, does that make sense? Well, yeah. I mean, well, it really was it wasn't an issue for me because I actually signed for Wrexham in the conference. Rotherham offered me more money in League Two, mm. um, but I chose. Like I said I had total faith in Brian Little, trusted him. You know, like I said I was tight with him, and I was like, nah. 
I, I could have went and played for other and earned more money, but I never. Mm-hmm. So, me personally, that didn't come into consideration whether, well, I don't know what the players were in whenever they, whenever they come in, but by all accounts, it, it was probably the over, the overspent where they could. And like I said, it's it's eventually come back to bite them in the bum, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think they've been, they've been, since then, they've been struggling to get back to any, because I think after after I left, there was a couple of seasons where they made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, so they were they were they were close, but I think there was one specific season where I got I got wind of like like they're having a right go, and if this is not the season, then they're going to struggle. Yeah, and like, they didn't go up. So, so yeah, so it's disappointing to see. It's disappointing to see. Yeah, we had an incredible team. Um, we got ninety eight points. But didn't go up because Fleetwood had Jamie Vardy basically. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that was it. That's the record still in the top five divisions in English football. Uh, no other team has got ninety-eight points and not been promoted. So, that, and it was a, a, a phenomenal team. Um, but we did overspend during that time as well, mm. and the fans have taken over and in, have done an incredible job to make the club debt-free, uh, <laughs> considering that what they inherited was yeah. horrific. And it's because they've done so well with that and some of the things that we've now got this fantastic takeover taking place with Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney because they've looked at us, they've seen what we've done in the community because the fans have done loads of community work and they've seen the fact that, you know, if you buy us, you don't have to stick two million in to cover the debt. You can start Brilliant. from scratch. So, to be fair, the fans have done an amazing job. And it does, I think, reflect. I'm sure you would have felt it feels like a big club, doesn't it, to be going down it it is the stadium. The stadium, like I said, the first game I played, MK Dons. Yeah. They obviously MK Dons brought a big following because they were top of the league. And like I said, it, the atmosphere was it was great. The Chester game, like it, it, it is a huge club. And I, I'm just like football. You know, you don't always work out to certain clubs and stuff. And I didn't work out at Wrexham, but and I, I'm disappointed about that because I always thought it had been brilliant for me, especially with the state in the league too and and whatnot. I, you know, I could have had a could have played a and really, really a lot of amounts of games for them. So yeah, so it, it, it's a it's a disappointing little chapter in in, in my career. Um, one that one that I look fondly on because I learned a hell of a lot. I learned a hell of a lot. Um, just about like saying people and how the game works. Really, you know, it's not all if you're good enough, you play. It's because it's not it's not like that. Um, but but yeah, like good memories, more bad memories than good. But it was. It was, it was, like I said, it was, a, it was another step in my career, which is you know, still going. It certainly is. And I've got to say, I mean, thankfully, because you weren't treated very well by Wrexham at the end, you've gone on and you've thrived. I mean, you've won a Scottish Cup final. Admittedly, not in the orthodox way. You know, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, but you, you've done that. You, you, you know, you've been playing at the top end in Scotland for a while now. I mean, it's, it's good to see you thrive. Yeah, like it's, it's it's funny how, how things turn out. Like I said, Macclesfield. I was end. I think I had four seasons at Macclesfield, and um, we had a we had a funny enough today. Keith Alexander's anniversary of, of, of his death. Mm-hmm. So um, so yeah. So it's there was a couple of tragedies there. Butcher as well, one of the lads who he passed away. So at the time when I left Mac, it was it felt the right time to move on. You know, a lot a lot went on there and stuff, and just emotionally and again another. another Four years of my career it was brilliant, and yeah, chance over Scotland was was too too big an opportunity to turn down. And like I said, my career has kind of kind of gone from there from there from there as I, as I got older. It was, it was strange, so it's kind of gone backwards. And like 
young, when I was young, I pitted around and then as I'm getting older, I kind of played at a high level and, and started winning trophies and stuff. So, so yeah, so it, it's, it, it worked out in the end. Fantastic. Well, Carl, can I just say thank you so much for joining us? Uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I wish you'd have had more time to to make an imprint on on Rexham, to be honest. Same, same. I'm glad you succeed being such a success. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Cheers for having me. I'm Luke Young, and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show. Well, Carl Tremarco there. I mean, I always liked him as a player, to be honest with you, and. I was always bemused by why Dean Saunders didn't fancy him. He's given a two-year contract at the start of our first season in non-league. And, yeah, he just didn't fancy him. And that leads me on to the discussion of, could we have bounced straight back up? Did we miss an opportunity? Was the lack of stability at the club at the time, because, of course, there was all sorts of rubbish going on behind the scenes, and the fact that, I mean, let's be honest, we've... In mid-season, the season before, when Brian Little's come in, we have had a massive overhaul of the squad. 13 players came in in one transfer window. Then in that summer, we had another massive overhaul. I can't remember the exact figure over the summer, but it was double figures. Um, some A lot of players there for around that. We had a massive playing staff, paying wages to players who were surplus to requirements. Um, and there would actually be another reshuffle in that the January of that season, if we had a bit more stability and actually relied on some of the players that we brought in, I sort of feel like maybe we might have bounced straight back up because we started the season well. It petered off badly, but I don't know. I, 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 there's a bit of me thinks we, we missed the chance there to bounce straight back. Uh, I, I don't know. My whole thoughts, looking, looking back at all the fixtures we have, we did have a good chunk of being unbeaten, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we we went like only one loss and like midway through the season in, in a big set of games. So yeah, maybe we did looking back. But for some reason, I don't really remember that season as a missed opportunity because we did have some re- we did pick up some really bad form towards the end of the season, didn't mm. we? That year. Oh. And, but yeah, looking back, looking back at the squad, we did have some good players, didn't we? Had Neil Taylor. Neil Taylor was playing, was he still? Yeah, yeah, point. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, of course he was. We had Jefferson Louis, who I know he's a bit, he's quite funny, but he, <laughs> he scored 15, he's, I think he scored like 15 goals that season, didn't yeah. he? I, I mean, it's a good tally, isn't it? The, the, the thing, I mean, right, it, things that are out of our control, that fantastic run we had that pushed us right up the table, uh, yeah. Mark Williams and Jeff Louis were fantastic partnership. Um, I think that Williams was extremely important in that partnership, shall we say. Uh, I think he was the brains of the operation. And he got that nasty injury. And the moment he dropped out, things started to fall apart. Um, yeah. I think Louis missed having a player along. Although Mark Williams younger than Louis. I think Williams was the player who could guide him a bit. And in that latter part of the season, it's the Salisbury game. In last game in February, where Williams is hurt, he doesn't appear again that season, and all of a sudden, our form dips. In fact, just to illustrate that, we had 10, 12, 14, 16, we had 18 games after we got injured, and we won three. And there were there was a horrible run near the end of the season of five games where we didn't score. 
And there was also a run of three games where we didn't score. All of a sudden, we, we went from a pretty aggressive, nice-looking team to a side that couldn't score to save its life. And as well, in that long spell, uh, Jeff Louis only scored one goal. So like you say, he scored a lot of goals, but all but one came before Williams got injured. So we were unlucky in that sense, and it does make you wonder, you know, because, I mean... Like you said, we lost form. We fell a long way off the pace. But that's a lot of points dropped. If we'd maintained our form, who knows? Or even just through some of the games you lost. Or yeah, yeah. It's not, not gone on such a mad, heavily <laughs> losing streak. But for, yeah. for me, no, it was quite clear then. If you just look at the results in that season, we just weren't good enough, were we? Mm. Really? Yeah. challenged. And, but what was your overall thoughts as a fan going into the conference for the first time that season? You see, b- before we went down, I was horrified. I'd already been through that uh, 1991 season where we just about saved ourselves from going down. And that was when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young enough to still be developing my ideas of football. And generally it was thought then, if you drop into non-league, oh, heaven knows what will happen to you. It's... It's a different yeah. world down there. You might never come out again. And and so at that point in the 90s, I was thinking, this could be the end of my club. Now, actually, that would have been a good time to go down because at that point, the football league team was much better than the non-league sides. And teams like Colchester, like Darlington, dropped down, bounced straight back up again, straight away. It was very straightforward. And that helped them to regenerate themselves and get their confidence going. Um, by this point, I was still very worried or what's, what will become of us if we drop out. But by the time the season started, I actually quite enjoyed that season because it felt like an adventure. You know, you're going to all yeah. these new places. And, and, okay, maybe I'm conditioned then by the fact that I probably thought, we'll be all right. This won't last long, but we'll get this right. But, yeah, going to places I'd never been before, like, um, you know, well, Lewis and Salisbury. Crawley was less pleasant, if I'm honest with you. Eastbourne. Eastbourne and Lewis were clubs who were so friendly. And Workington. Workington. I had a whale of a time there. Just what a nice club. Um, I, I went there. My dad came as well. And he went into the social club while I sort of set up the commentary equipment. And then I, I was wandering around the ground taking photos. It was wonderful. I mean, Workington were in the Football League when we joined it in the 1920s. And it, the, the ground just looks like that. It, it's... I've got to go to sound patronising, but it just looks like a sort of... If you were filming a, a, a sort of fictional show about football in the 1920s, you've got to film it at Workington. The whole stadium looks like that. All apart from the one modern bit. Um, and I had a lovely time wandering around, popped in a social club, and my dad's surrounded by all these old fellas from Workington all talking about the good old days of football. Incredibly welcoming. Wishing us all the best. You know, and it was just... Yeah, that sort of spirit felt a bit more, a bit, bit absent in football league games where you go into a game, you have a sort of pretty identical ground, you go to the pie shop, pie shop, you go to the food bar or whatever you call it, and they have the same uh, frozen pies that you find in every football ground, which have all been made in one place and then sent out to the football grounds. And then you go to the National League. And I can remember the food I had there. I mean, look at me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 
you know, I, I look after my body, you know, I mean, so to be, you know, it's unusual for me. But obviously, obviously you're going to say Kidderminster, fair enough, but also I remember having Cumberland sausages at Workington, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Eastley have this mad burger bar where they make crazy burgers. Just the clubs getting local people or fans or businesses to come in and do the catering so you get variety and people actually making an effort to, to make something nice rather than something, oh, right, yeah, there, these have come, stick it in the microwave, there you go, son. Just all those little nice touches and enthusiasm of people who would, you know, a club run by people in the community who just wants the best for the club. I, I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. But, like I said, I think I that's partly because I didn't realise we'd be still down here now, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, and it was the same for me. It was my first year going, being older to go with my mates rather than go with my family to watch games and it was as I said I thought the atmosphere around the race course was actually quite good wasn't it mm. yeah, I think the attendances were, were alright as well yeah. weren't they all things considered and the atmosphere was really loud and it was really positive it was, we sort of come from that season where we pretty much lost the majority of our games didn't we mm. the previous season to then come in and winning games and I thought the atmosphere and we didn't feel like we were entitled to win every game it, it, was, like, it, it was a nice positive atmosphere around the race course and it was yeah, it was really good. I went to some some summer away days. I went to like Burton Albion. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was that was a tasty away game that season. So it was yeah. I, I have fond memories of um, that season because I, I I like yourself. I thought oh it's a bit of an adventure there. So we'll only be here for a year or oh, maybe two years, and then we'll be back in League Two in no time. And then it, I obviously didn't quite work out the way we did the way it did <laughs> I mean that's exactly it the crowds did stand up well until that bad run at the end um, yeah. especially considering that all that season only one team brought over 100 fans uh, over 200 fans to our away end only Altrincham did that um, so it was the crowds were standing up but also the crowds were just home fans pretty much uh, so, yeah. I mean, everyone talks it wasn't this season about Histon bringing no fans to one match, which was remarkable. Um, they forget that Eastbourne in one game brought one, so there was one person in the away end. Um, and double figures was the norm, so yeah, it was very much the home fans. But like I said, I think the attitudes were different, and that's understandable. I think you know, you I guess oh, our attitudes are different then. You know, sometimes one of the good things if you get relegated is that you can then go to a lower level and, and win games more. It's more fun to watch your team. I think fans at the time felt the club had been put into that situation by stuff off the pitch and, and it wasn't its fault. Well, it was individuals' fault, but not the whole thing. So there was a more of a supportive attitude, perhaps rather than frustration at not being able to get back up where we should be. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think there was for a few years a sort of sense of, yeah, okay, we're here now. Well, let's make the most of it and get back up again. Um, but um, I understand totally that that sense is gone because it's, it's gone from us. It's now we really need to get back out of the of this league. We really need to get into the football league. But, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. I can't deny it. You mentioned that Burton game, though. I mean, to me, that was a turning point. I, I remember us going to that. I'm, I'm, by the way, that's the game before Williams gets injured. Yeah, and yeah. we had good momentum going into that game. Um, we were unbeaten in 13 matches and we're really going for it. Now, some of those are trophy matches, I admit, but uh, you know, we were in good form. 
Burton were the leaders. And I remember going to that game and thinking, if we can win this, they're not out of our reach here. We could pull them back. And we did take the lead. We were winning at halftime. Jeff Louis scored. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> you know, a great what-if question there. If we'd won that match, we might have been in a title race. But then, as it is, it turns out the other way. We lose it. The next, well, our next two games are the FA Trophy quarterfinals. So again, we're feeling positive. Oh yeah, we're we're big wrecks, and we're going to win. We could win the league here. We're, we're going to win the FA Trophy, but we lose in the quarterfinal replay against Ebbsfleet. And then Williams gets injured, and we then hit that terrible run in form where we can't score a goal to save our lives. So that was one opportunity, I think, where things could have turned differently if we maintained that momentum and if Williams hadn't got injured. And the other thing is just the number of players that that we had. I mean, just to make it clear, as I mentioned in that interview to Carl, I mean, the, 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 that last, the relegation season is the... Mind, this season is a season when we use more players than at any other point in our entire history in one season. Um, and it took the record from the previous season, which shows how much disruption there was but when Saunders comes in he jettisons a lot of players that I think were capable of doing a decent job um, so if, if, I, if I just give you some some examples here of players that he decided he he didn't fancy Gavin Ward who I know you were a fan of who you yeah. used for a bit big fan yeah yeah um, Simon Spender uh, was a decent fullback and I think still had something left in him. Uh, well, Tremarco, obviously, I rated very highly. I liked Sam Williamson as well, but I, if you asked me to pick between the two, Tremarco had a bit more presence going forwards, a bit more drive and aggression. I'd go for him. Uh, Darren Kempson, who was brought in as a big signing by Brian Little, it was really building up at the time that he's only you know early 20s. He's Terrific physique. He's a great lower division centre-back and he was decent, you know. Nat Brown was a decent, strong, mobile centre-back with a lot of experience. He's gone on, you know, to, to do decently. Uh, Steve Evans, although oh, there's a few issues around Steve, but yeah, I mean, Steve Evans was still there when Saunders came in, but didn't play much afterwards. Uh, Sean Pedrick only got one game in the conference. You know, there's a lot of players like that. Simon Brown, maybe not so much. There's some players who had injuries that changed things. Kyle Critchell only managed two games for us because of injuries. He looked a decent player in those two games. Um, Andrew, uh, not Andrew, um, Richie DeLate, remember him? The lad who brought on loan from Man United. He was a good fullback. And he, when we, he played like four games or something and we didn't let, I don't think we got any goals in there. One goal in those games. So he was a good fullback, him. Um you know, the, 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 there's a lot of players. The, the other injury tragedy, Joe Allen. Joe Allen comes yeah. in, plays two games, and is just clearly many levels higher than the National League. And if we had him for the whole season, oh, my, we'd have been quite a team. But second game, serious season-ending injury. And that's your lot. Tom Kearney, who was brought in as our captain, was a nice, tidy midfielder who certainly could have done a job. You know, I mean, uh, it's crazy that I'm still listing off players. There are just billions of them, aren't there? Sean Worley, another player who's gone on and had a good career in the, in the Football League. But a lot of these players, Saunders came in, said, I don't fancy you. And they were jettisoned. Michael Proctor, who he lost interest in. Um, oh. it's, I mean, it's crazy to think of all those players. Now, 
you could look at the last season as well. A lot of those 13 that came in in January didn't get a fair crack at the whip, really. We had a number of strikers who did well in the Football League. Players like Rob Duffy, who came on, never got a start, just got a few very short sub-appearances, but has scored goals throughout his career since then. You know, we just were throwing around money, bringing in players, not letting them settle. And I just think if, if there'd been a more settled approach... That is a missed opportunity, really. When you go through all those players who didn't play a role, maybe they could have done. But that's the, that, that's the key word you said there, settle. Mm. The club in general wasn't settled, was it? No. Everywhere, everything. The, the, back, the back room, the, everything, nothing was settled. But obviously, the first team wasn't settled. The, the, the politics wasn't settled. It, the, the club was in a mess, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, I think what went on the pitch that season represented the club as a whole, didn't it? Absolutely true, yeah. And also this, yeah. um, I don't want to say this, you know, well, Carl said it, didn't he, about Saunders learning how to be a manager at our expense. Uh, and no manager's going to get all their signings right, so please don't get me wrong. But I think he had a, a, an idea of bringing in players with better technique than the National League. So we just become a better team. Um, yeah. and he used his contacts and it was quite surprising the number of you know, name players that he was able to tempt down to the National League but the problem was when you get players like that down to the National League there's something wrong uh, you know, if they've got too much quality there's something wrong unless it's a Joe Allen situation where he used his contacts with the Welsh team you know, Allen knew him um, you know, Swansea trusted Saunders to give him game time and develop him. And he's a young lad who's too good for that level, but, you know, he needs pitch time. Apart from that, I mean, OK, let, let's go through a few of these uh, stunt signings. So we, Matt Jansen, three games, looks decent, scores a nice goal at Northwich, then says, oh, I'm not really interested in this, and goes. So, you know, Patrick Sufo did a good job for us. I mean, please, again, don't get me wrong. He did a good job for us, but his knee was absolutely gone. He only started yeah. three games for us. He came in November, started three games. Um, he just couldn't get around the pitch. He, he'd drop off, link play up, and he knew there was absolutely no chance he could then get into the box. Uh, and I, I, I thought a time for Sufo, to be honest. I, I think he was a good pro, but he should have he should have retired, really, you know? Um then Andrew Crofts, okay, maybe he gave us a bit more stability, to be fair. Um, lots of young lads like Nathan Wolf, Angelos Chaklis, yeah. Nathan Fairhurst, nice, tidy, skillful players, but not quite as good as Joe Allen and not able to impose themselves. Uh, John Brown, another one, who basically made a great early impact because you could, they were better than National League, but they weren't physically able to sustain that and they all faded really quite badly. Um, he has a stunt signing, Christian Jean, two starts, debut in midfield at Workington, right back in that poor first quarterfinal against Ebbs Fleet, absolutely disappears. This is a bloke who's won the Europa League, this is a bloke who played for Feyenoord loads of times, and yet, yeah, by the time he's brought him to us, there's, there's something clearly wrong, right. you know? It was a very weird sort of scattergun approach to sign John Curtis. Um, you know, solid fullback, but genuine injury problems and he ends up breaking down near the end of the season. Yeah, it's, I mean, crazy signings, but were they the sign, like I say, learning on the job at our expense, were they the signings 
that were going to give us something sustainable? Or do we need to say, well, all right, we've got Spender. John Curtis might be okay, but Spender's lively. He was doing well in the football yeah. league. You know, let's just get him back in the side and rehabilitate him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's sort of, um, it sort of epitomises the whole Dean Saunders area, wasn't it? I know he got us into the playoffs that one season, but that, as Tremarco said, he did, he did learn. He was learning on the job, wasn't he, at our expense? Yeah. That was a, that's a perfect way to put it. And I think Dean Saunders leaving at the time he did, I know we're going a bit off track here, was perfect, wasn't it? Having morale come in yeah. and take over his job. I think, I think Saunders laid a good foundation mm. um, and I think we played all right football under him but I think him leaving was the best thing for for us as well as him himself I think so I mean an overview of Saunders in a way for me is that he he was indulged by the board for reasons I maybe I'm not going to totally go into really in terms of why we spent so much but he was indulged by the board um, I, I know I, I've got to say I know, you know I'm saying about learning at, uh, at our expense. I, I don't mean that personally. I'm not criticising it. If I was a manager and my board would give me anything I wanted, I wouldn't think, oh, I shouldn't. I'd keep asking. The, the boards had to say, mate, we, we've used 40 players this season. You've got, you've got 10 players there that you're not using. Coach them, use them, motivate them. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't blame him. Managers ask, and a responsible board have to at some point say no. Uh, but we weren't, so he was getting indulged and allowed to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. I mean, you know, think about a normal situation. You give a manager uh, the resources to completely rebuild the squad. If he then comes back at the next transfer window and says, "I'm not happy with this squad," under normal circumstances, you turn around and say, "Well, <laughs> sorry." We backed you in the summer. We give you money for a couple of players, fair enough. But you built this squad. You make it. You make it sing. That's what normally yeah. would happen. But instead, he was given a you know, well, basically three chance windows in a row because the next summer he gets rid of a lot of players and he builds a team which is much more based on on that young talent, which again doesn't really get anywhere. Um, and then the next summer. He rips it all up again, and he does get it right then. So there's like two years, if you like, of this experimenting. The next summer, he mixes experience of youth, gets a bit of better quality in, and starts the foundations of that 98-point season team the year after. But, again, it's about massive spending. <laughs> you know, it's about really large spending. Um, and I think you're right, so, uh, morale was crucial for us. I mean, let's be honest, Saunders left because Jeff Moss left. Um and that's a bit disappointing when he talked a lot about getting this club out of the division. But then when he constructed a team that could get out of the division, he then left because he didn't like the change of ownership. And I think we were exceptionally fortunate in having Morel there because he was oh made God. to hang around for a long time as caretaker. Mm. And he, he did it because he could take the bigger view, which a lot of managers can't, that... This club needs stability, and although he did say, I want to be appointed, I'd, I'd like this to get moving, he didn't rock the boat, and he waited and waited, because I think a lot of other managers would have rocked the boat and caused disruption at a time when things we couldn't afford during that takeover for them to get disrupted. Also, we had the common sense to see that when you inherit a team like that, most managers want to impose themselves, don't they? 
oh, I'll bring a couple of players in. I'll improve this. I'll bring my lads in as well. He had the common sense to see, you know, this is a good side. Ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, make the most of that side. That's just Morel. He's a, he's a class act on and yeah. off the pitch. He's uh, a true professional and one of the best strikers and even one of the best managers we've ever had, mm. um, in my opinion. Uh, I, I don't think anyone at the club, fan, uh, media team member, uh, ex-owners, I could, I could say a bad word about Andy Morel, but you really. Oh, he's a top bloke. So, yeah. And commentators as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> they, um, the stats back you up, of course, because yeah. the only manager in our history who's got better stats than him, I, I admit, you can twist statistics. For example, this is the lowest level I've ever played in. You know, it's, it would be wrong yeah. to say that you know our national league team, the ninety-eight points, is the best one in our history because it's playing at the lowest level in our history. You know, but um, the fact is that there's only one manager who's had better stats than him over the course of his career. And that's Sam Ricketts. But I think that's... Well, OK, I'm going to twist stats to suit my argument now, aren't I? Um, <laughs> uh, I think that's a false statistic because Ricketts started very well. And before he left, results were tailing off. And also, it's a very small data set. Ricketts was manager for less than half a season. So if you take the, you know a, a small number... Any any statistician will tell you a small amount of data will more likely bring you an inaccurate sort of result. Uh, I I I I would contest that that Rickett started very well, but things were starting to drift before he left, and that that process would probably have continued. I think you reverted to the mean. If you take Morel's early games, <laughs> then you've you've got terrifying figures, haven't you? Because we we just flew in the early stages of the Morel. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, you deserve a lot of credit, but I still, I can't help wondering whether we, we had a chance to bounce back, and like you say, the instability at the club essentially scuppered that. I don't know. Well, it was an interesting conversation, man. It was that was real. It was nice to cast myself back to that um, that first season in the conference. It seems like such a eternity away now, doesn't it? Yeah. But yeah, it, it was nice. It was nice casting my mind back on that season. Absolutely. Well, let's 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 do a bit more reminiscing after the break. And uh, remember Juan Ugarte, who has a very notable anniversary coming today. I'm Elliot Doral, and you're listening to the Dragonheart Radio Show. Yeah, this is a a momentous anniversary because on this day. In 2005, Juan Ugarte, the ultimate cult hero, let's be honest, less than a season, but what he achieved, wow. And uh, in that great British style, we love a heroic loser more than anything else. And although we won the LDB Vans trophy with him scoring in the final, we also got relegated that season, despite the fact he couldn't stop scoring to save his life. But yeah, on this day, Juan Ugarte set a club record, five goals scored in an away league match. No other Wrexham player has ever done that. A crazy game. I'm pleased to say I was there at Hartlepool. Hartlepool 4, Wrexham 6. And it was just... What an astounding achievement by a, a, a fascinating and, well, frankly, astounding player. Oh, yeah. Everyone has fond memories of Juan, don't they? Everyone has a memory of Juan Yagate, whether it's the LDV Vans final, uh, where he scored that goal that got his head. But that 
that um, Hartlepool game in particular, I, I, my memories of that, because I obviously couldn't go because I was very young. I didn't nice. really go to away games much that season. It was the Jeff Stelling on a uh, Gillette Soccer Sports when he right. when he kept on reading out his name. Oh, and when you got his gone for the goal because he's a Hartlepool fan. So that was my memory of it, and I thought that I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it was just nuts from start to finish. You know, I mean, we were in, as I said in, in a relegation scrap, <clears throat> but with one foot, maybe more than a foot in the, in the LDB Vans final because. We'd already won 5-3 in the first leg away from home. <clears throat> but in the league, we'd not won in six. Drawn five and, and lost one. And we needed a win. We needed to start trying to get back up the table. We'd had the 10 points deduction by them, which had dropped us into the bottom four. And it was just frantic. They scored in the fourth minute. So straight away, we're losing. You thought, oh, here we go. Ugarte equalises, 11th minute. And then puts us ahead by the 25th. Sorry, by half an hour, it's level again. Ugarte gets his hat trick in the 35th minute with a penalty, fair play. Um, but then they come back again, three all. And actually, uh, incredibly, they take the lead with six minutes left. So we're losing with six minutes left. But then Ugarte gets his fifth, and Mark Jones actually gets one as well. Ugarte's last minute. Uh, Jones is the one who actually puts us ahead four minutes from the end. Ugarte then scores in the last minute. But it was just, if you pushed up against Ugarte, he was so quick, he'd get in behind you. And his finishing was very confident, but it was, in, you know, he could do a lot of the different penalty area things, if you will. You know, he was yeah. good one on one. He was good at attacking the six yard box. He was also good at the spectacular, you know, I'm going to go to Chesterfield, knocked over the top runs onto it and just in his stride nails it on the volley. You know, he could he could he was a great all round striker, really. Uh he was quite something. Uh but that game was amazing. Oh yeah, he was um he's obviously well coached, wasn't he? Because he was friends, was he friends with Alonso yeah, growing Jimmy up? Alonso. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah and Arteta as well, was it he was friends with? Oh I'm not sure about that. I mean Arteta's background's at Rail Sofia Dad, isn't it? Um Certainly, Ugarte came over, as I understand it, on the recommendation of Chabi Alonso, and had to try with Liverpool, didn't they? And Liverpool, yeah, I, I could be completely, yeah. completely wrong, but uh, he, he, he was, he was quite, he was a cut above the rest of that. Uh, uh, a lot of those teams, well, not a lot of players in that team. He, he, he's absolutely class, but I just think it's absolute shame he didn't stay for another season. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and a shame as well. That when he did finally come back, I mean, actually, he was injured. He was no, he couldn't play then when he came back. It was a, it was a real pity. But yeah, I mean, he was just I, it was great as well because we did have good creative players around him. So Darren Ferguson was there, Mark Jones was there. You know, we had players who could feed him, and and a smart manager in Dennis Smith, which doesn't hurt. Yeah. Uh, the the, uh, the weird thing is, of course, that as you said. As you were young, thanks for rubbing it in, and weren't able to get to away games. I guess you had a bit of a different Juan Ugarte experience from me. From me, yeah, he he banged away from home apparently. And I forgot the stat you just said before, but he only scored not even a handful of goals at the race course, did he? Yeah, that's right. Two. He only scored two goals at the race course. But how how bizarre. Is that? I mean, it really is something else, isn't it? He's got 26 goals in 31 starts, but only two 
at the racecourse. I mean, huh? <laughs> Why? That's crazy. But he also, as well, made the Chester Sav as well, didn't he? Yeah. Which was first... a lot of yeah, a lot of fond memories of Wrexham fans. Was that the first time we played Chester in a long time? That was, wasn't it? Um. Ooh, that's, I'll double check that. But he. Yeah, because it, it was a good period of time before. Well, I was going to watch him for a good few years. I was only yeah. a kid. And I don't remember us playing Chester. So. Yeah, they got relegated, hadn't they? So. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been a few years, I think. But sir, I mean, that was his first goal. When when your first goal for Wrexham is uh, uh, the only goal in an away derby in the cup, because it was the LDV Vans, I'd argue, yeah. You've, you've you've already set yourself up with a Wrexham fan base anyway, haven't you? And that was the classic sort of sniffers goal, wasn't it? Just run to the near post, driven cross bang. And he could do a bit of everything. I wonder if that's why, because that sharpness and pace and anticipation, I wonder if that's why he was so effective in away games. You know, teams at home pushing up a bit, trying to take the game to you, leaving space in behind. And he could do that as well. <laughs> And I just think I just thought as well. I forgot a very obvious quality player to, to give him ammunition. Carlos Edwards as well was at the club. Yeah. And the yeah. tragedy is, of course, that team with all those players and with with Ugarte's goals goes down. And I, I gotta be honest. I deliberately and I'm being snotty here. I don't use the word relegated. They were demoted. We had ten points taken off us. We're going into administration. I don't disagree with that rule. But they should have listened to our appeal because we went to an administration to save the club, not not to to pull off a bit of financial chicanery. They should have allowed us to do that and not knock the ten points off. If you had the ten points back on, uh, we'd have stayed up, and we should have stayed up with a team like that with Ben Foster in goal as well, and you know, cracking players Dennis Lawrence, Stephen Roberts. Oh. Well, I, th- I think we would have kicked on that season after a few additions. Yeah, yeah. You know, we might even be able to keep Ben Foster on for a season. I know he went to United, and maybe we've kept him on season. Well, maybe alone if we kept him in, at League One. We were still at League One, but we, I think we could have kicked it, really kicked on. It's such a, even though I look back at that team with so much fondness, it's just so sad that we had that 10 points deduction, isn't it? It's, well, we may yeah, well get so, you guys, eh? Yeah, I mean, Ugarte loved it with us, uh, and he only moved to a team in League One, didn't he? I think it was at the Championship. But I, I think there's a good chance he'd have stayed on. Um, yeah, it's it's painful that, and also doubly painful. The side who are rescued by us losing ten points is MK Dons. Another reason to dislike MK Dons, to be honest. Oh, wow, the the long list of reasons to not like MK Dons. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, that was. That was quite a feat by Ugarte, but to be fair, it wasn't in isolation. He piled up hat-tricks away from home, obviously. He's got two at home. He can't go any home hat-tricks. But um, he was a remarkable player in our history, really, wasn't he? And uh, yeah. it was a crazy season, but he was it was a delight to have him with us. A real cult hero, and I think he would do... It would be nice to see how he would do in, like, a five-a-side side match. <laughs> Gosh! You know what? <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, Jake, can I just say that that was exactly what I was about to say. We both had the same idea because after this, we'll be talking about what is your our dream Wrexham AFC all-time five-a-side team. I'm Riesel Johnson, and you're listening to the Dragon Heart Radio Show.
Oh, we're still enjoying that beautiful segue that Che did there into our five-a-side thing. So basically, we asked you to name your all-time Wrexham, Craggy Island, all priests, <laughs> five-a-side team. Well, if you could pick five Wrexham players that you've seen play and put them into a five-a-side team, who would they be? Oh, it's a, it was your idea, Che. It's a magnificent, beautiful idea. And we've had some absolutely fantastic responses. So, um, well, do you want to go through your ideas first, perhaps, of, of what your team would be? Well, oh, no, before we do, is there a philosophy behind this? Do you, is there an approach you think a five-a-side team have to take? Yeah, I try to um, get more say, technically gifted players in. Um, some that are skillful and mainly ones that I really enjoy watching because I think the ones who bring me happiness is the ones I put in really. Happiness watching records, the ones I brought in. Absolutely. Actually, maybe uh, shall I give you the ones that have come in first? Because maybe that's the yeah. best way, the best way to do this. Um, oops, thank you, pardon. So I'll give you some examples. So Andy Davis, I like this, said, Marius, Hardy, Ward, Connolly, Watkin. I reckon there's a song in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good team. I, I like um, Hardy as a defender is an interesting call. I like it because uh, maybe in a five-a-side team, you, you want, you, you don't, you know, there's not much use for the guy who's good in the air, is there necessarily? Not that Hardy wasn't, but a solid fullback like him who could really tackle and defend and was good on the ball is, is that the sort of player you probably want in a five-a-side team? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. I'll, I'll name one off another one. Gez Rogers. Mm. He sent me one in. He said Ben Foster, Brian Kerry, Darren Ferguson, Carlos Edwards and Carl Connolly. Nice. It's a, it's, a, it's a well-balanced team, isn't it? The trouble is getting the ball off Carl Connolly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. we give it to Carl and then we can all sit back and watch him dribble at people <laughs> how about Matty Weber 88 on Twitter he also went for Foster well actually it's quite a similar team Foster Darren Ferguson Carlos Edwards Mark Jones and Lee Trundle I think it's fair to say that's the the Techers team and he said skills flair spectacular goals and a top class keeper yeah. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that at all. Foster would. <laughs> oh, I was to say Foster would fill the. Foster would fill the goal, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. He'd be a, a cracking keeper. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I go on your mum. Oh, my mum, my mum's team heavily. Uh, she's been Wrexham fan for years now. Her team was quite defensive, really, for five yeah. five side. But she's got Miebe, Dennis Lawrence, Manny Smith, Darren Ferguson, and Wanyagati. So that's a very I think that's just their favourite players. <laughs> yeah, well, fair enough. Oh, yeah. That's, that's it. I've got, yeah, I've got a few similarities with that team. I've got to say, hey, interesting that, isn't it? Um, the team I read out before was sort of the opposite in, in that it had no defender. So, I mean, yeah. does that matter in five aside? I've got to be honest and say I've also gone on the defender, sort of defenderless approach to an extent. Um, you know, if you in five aside, you just want technical players to move the ball about because that 
that team that Matthew Bradley said, you know, Ferguson, Carlos, Mark Jones, and Lee Trundle, a lot of technique in there. Or if you got, if you can tackle, <laughs> there was well, no one's going to turn up against you. Well, true. Uh, I heavily side. I, I wouldn't fancy getting past me, Smith. And then you'd have to get past me, AB, and goal who would cover the whole goal. Yeah. Uh, so it, I think it'd be very hard to score past that team. Then you'd have Ferguson and Yagate just to yeah. <laughs> play the rest of the, the game to do the football side. So that's yeah, good side, John. Long as it doesn't away five side game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've got one here from Dickie. Um, Marriott, Carlos, Connolly, Trundle, and here's a name we haven't had yet Kevin Russell. That's a good oh, call. Yeah. Kevin Russell's yeah. an interesting one because he sort of has two careers. I mean, he has two spells with us, and he is a completely different player when he comes back. So when he, when he's first with us, he's a little super quick striker who's a brilliant finisher. And both seasons, he gets around twenty goals. A magnificent striker, never going to stay with us. He just couldn't. He had to go to a higher level, um, and he had hair, and well, to an extent. And when he came back. At the end of his spell with us, he had an injury which just affected his pace. And when he came back, he was a midfielder and didn't have the pace anymore. But he was a class midfielder, attacking midfielder. He played up front sometimes, but he didn't have that pace anymore. But his intelligence on the ball and his intelligence reading the game was just superb. And mm. I can say that not just watching him, but because I had him as my co-commentator once. And it was just like going to school. It was just brilliant. He just broke the game down. And I was just sitting there learning from him. It was just fantastic to listen to. Um, he is t he's got good technique and intelligence. He'd be a great five-a-side player, wouldn't he? I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think intelligence is and um, but ability is very important in five-a-side. Mm -hmm. Bill Long, his team uh, was, was Miebi, Lawrence. One was, that's not been... There's two in his team that's not been talked about yet. Dean Keats, mm. uh, Dan Ferguson, and Louis Malt up front. Oh, tasty sides. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Ferguson and Lawrence seem to be in a lot of people's teams, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that Malt, um, yeah, I mean, he'd be a fine player at that level. His finishing is so good. And Keats as well. Uh, I got to admit, I had an either or with Keats and one other player in my team, and, and I went for the other one, but I it was kind of toss of a coin, to be honest. But yeah, that'd be a that'd be a side that could that could do something, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, I got yeah, Owen Bradley has gone a really interesting, maybe more than anyone else, sort of mixture of the eras. I mean, not, well, that's the next two I've got maybe I, I like that. Ben Foster in goal, Neil Taylor. Carlos Edwards, Mickey Thomas, and Ooh. Carl Connolly. Mickey Thomas, I mean, just yeah. never stopped running. So yeah. that would be valuable, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. And Taylor good as well. Player. I mean, a good technical player. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you can't argue with any of these sides so far, yeah. can you? That team is, has got so many good left feet in it. <laughs> Taylor, Thomas, Connolly. <laughs> oh. Um, I've also had the word with uh, Phil who owns King Street Coffee in town oh. huge Wrexham fan I, I bought a coffee off him this morning I thought <laughs> I'd ask him for his five-a-side team 
His is a ve- it was very attacking. Um, he's gone. Andy Marriott in goal. Neil Taylor, Hector Sam, Lee Trundle, and Andy Morrell. Oh, Morrell and Sam are names we haven't heard really, aren't they? Yeah. Sam, we're going to Sam wriggling around and in tight spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> now we get on to the big ones, our five-a-side team. Well, hang on, I've got a couple more here. Well, have you got one more? Have you got a couple more? I've got a couple. Um, John Davis. A response, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. John Davis has uh, given us reasons. And he's also gone for Morel. But he says, now, he, he is an interesting one as a keeper. This is a real, I like this sort of specialist thing. This is um, like uh, Holland bringing Tim Krul on for penalties. In goal, Christian Dibble. Because he saves penalties and you get quite a few penalties in five sides. Nice. Then, defending, he's got Joey and Mark Crichton. Oh, God, I don't want to play against this team. You're going to get smashed into a wall against this team. He says, grit and muscle. He says, I remember a story about him having Joey having teeth in his head, which I think I've mentioned this before on Dragon Hearts. I'm not sure. The, the classic story of Joey when he played for Liverpool. I mean, Joey tells his tales. Feel quite a lot of exaggerated, but that's the beauty of Joey. He's a wonderful storyteller. That he was uh, playing for local at Middlesbrough, and there was a fight. So a Middlesbrough player, I think, had gone in on Ray Clemens. Yeah, the goalkeeper. He went down low, and Russell Big on a late and kicked him. And so there's a big fight in the six-yard box. And Joey thought, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him pay for that. He shouldn't keep, kick our keeper." And he thought, well, "The ref will never be able to see me. There's so many people all milling around." So he, he went up to the lad who kicked the keeper, and he butted him in the mouth and the referee when he'd sorted out the fighting called Joey over and sent him off and Joey says why and he said you busted that lad in the mouth and he said how do you know and he said you still got his teeth in your head <laughs> beauty that and then the other now now here you are Morel and here's a player Dom Vose oh yeah there's a guy who'd operate it and he said, skills with a Z, because you need that sort of thing and goals. And Mozart also does the tactical stuff. I like that team. Wow. It's, yeah. a, it's, a dirt, it's like a nasty team, isn't it, to play against? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that team. Straight down the middle, terror and beauty. <laughs> we also got Johnny that. Edwards, who said Andy Marriott, Dennis Lawrence, Peter Ward. Yeah, that's a good player. Again, good technical yeah. player. Lee Trundle. And Carl Connolly. Um, yeah. Peter Howell replied to that one just saying, you, you've got to have Mickey Thomas in there somewhere. There's somebody who well, yeah. had that. Owen Thornley. Hang on, did Owen have one before? No, I'm getting mixed up. Owen Thornley. Now then. <laughs> this is an interesting one, yes. Um, um, the, the goalkeeper's an interesting call. And again, like Christian Dibble, a specialist, Cameron Belford, just for his passing. So you can keep the ball moving. Yeah, interesting point, that. Uh, Curtis Obeng in defence yeah, with yeah. Moke. I always liked Adriano Moke. I was a real fan of his. And Vose in midfield. And then Molt up front. Quick attacking passing team. Perfect for five a side. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah. Good thinking, yeah, that. I like that team. Yeah. yeah. Marcus Thomas, Marriott, Carey, Brian Hughes. You know, very technical player, very smooth on the ball. Connolly and Trundle. Steve H, Andy Marriott, Phil Hardy, 
Peter Ward. Yeah, amazing that no one's come up with this person. Gary Bennett. And yeah. now here's an interesting call because I'm not sure which one he means. I think I do know which one he means. Mike Williams. Now, I'm assuming he doesn't mean Mike Williams, Mark Williams' his brother. I like Mike Williams, by the way. He's a good player he was. But I think he means Mike Williams from the 80s, who at the early 90s, or I've mentioned in passing before, was a centre-back that we got from Chester and was a genuine class act, a wonderful centre-back. But he had terrible, terrible problems of injuries and had to retire in the end. And it was a great shame because I tell you that he would have been playing at a much higher level had it not been for the fact that he broke down a number of times. So it's a, a shame. But yeah, that's yeah. a lovely call. Very good on the ball. You think in the 80s and 90s, centre backs weren't good on the ball, but he was. So that's a good call. And the last one, Ray Thomas. Now, Ray, I salute you. You've gone old school. Uh, to the extent that even an old codger like me, I only saw one of these players play, but I am aware of their excellence. So Kevin Keelan in goal. I say that I did see him play at the very end of his career for Norwich. He's a Norwich legend, but he actually started off with us. He's a very agile goalkeeper, played most of his career, let's say top level. Eddie May, he was a club legend, captain, leader, huge centre-back, scored goals as well. Ian Moyer, who we had a, a special interview with, a, a, a really skillful winger that people who saw him play absolutely loved. Sammy McMillan, who was a sort of inside forward midfielder, who was, again, a good player, came from Man United. And the one I did see play, albeit not for long, because he left quite soon after I started watching Wrexham, I don't think those two things were linked, was Bobby Shinton. He was a classic right. so goal-scoring winger slash striker. So there's, ooh, there's some authentic players at that and as we said earlier you know they were playing at you know division three division two level so it's reasonable to argue that they may actually be better players than a lot of the ones that we've seen in, in a lot of ways so quality that but how about your team i really enjoyed all so, those teams i really enjoyed all those listening to all those teams i think most teams were very different weren't they i really enjoyed that mm -hmm. listening to the different types of combinations that people Fans loving different types of players, but here's my team. Oh, so I do my team first, and your team. Say again. Or should you play by player? Should you do my team first and your team? Or I don't mind. I'll do mine if you want. I forgot. Yeah, I'll, do, I'll do my. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll do my team first. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to. I don't think he's the best goalkeeper I've seen while I'm here, but while I've been watching Wrexham. But I think the 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 team, the current team we've got now, doesn't get enough love. I don't think. So mm. I think we're a good solid side. So I'm going to put Layton in goal because I yeah, think yeah. he's Mr. Reliable. And he's probably been, well, you could argue he's as good as me, AB and Maxwell in the conference era too. Those three keepers are the best keepers we've had in this, in this stretch of being in the conference. Yeah, Mr. Reliable, you can't, you can't knock Rob Layton, can you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, am I being stupid and saying he's not the massive goalkeeper and that might be a good thing? You know, you're getting down to low yeah. shots in five aside. Yeah, I, I just, I really, I just really like him as well. I think he's yeah. a class act. So, defender. Now, I've not gone for your centre half. I've gone for Carlos Edwards for obvious reasons. Reasons mm -hmm. he could defend, he could go forward. He was very skillful, good on the ball, fast. Everything you want out of a five aside defender. Uh, centre midfield. I've gone Mark Jones, who hasn't been mentioned yet. 
who I would argue, personally, probably the most technically gifted Wrexham player I've seen in the Wrexham shirt. Yeah. I don't know whether you could disagree, disagree with me in that, my time of watching Wrexham. I think te- technically, probably one of the best I've ever seen. And then up front, Trundle Morel. It has to be them two, doesn't it? <laughs> I think that they, they, like peanut butter and jelly, them two. Uh, I think Trundle at five side is how technically gifted he was and how skillful he was of being valuable. And the way Morel could find the net and his work rate and his tactical nows. Uh, yeah, perfect for a five side team. Yeah, they got that link already as well. Uh, Trundle's a very yeah. popular call, isn't he? he can, like I said, he can, he can operate in small spaces. He'd be, he'd be very tasty. That's a good sign, that, Jay. Antonio. Yeah, thank you. You know, that's quality there. I mean, obviously, mine will beat you, but, you know, it's good. <laughs> I need to get... I, we need to get some sort of computer simulation going to see which team win. Oh, my word. I'm starting to seriously think about this now. <laughs> yeah, um, well. I like Mark Jones as well. That's a really good call. Uh, what a lovely player Mark Jones was. I, I've got a a problem I have in that I've, I named my team, but I, I sort of want to change it because I've heard Ooh. so many wonderful arguments for players and examples I didn't think of. I'm going to stick to my guns, but my team, right, in goal, a keeper that no one's mentioned, although someone has mentioned his son, Andy Dibble. I just think Andy Dibble's going to be hard to get the ball past of the goal <laughs> that small. You know, is is you know by the time he came to us, his athleticism wasn't at what it had been, but his intelligence, his his control of the angles and things like that meant it was really hard to beat him. So I think Andy Dibble would be a proper big barrier in goal myself. Um, and then I've agreed with Matty Weber, and I've gone the attacking route. My logic, quite simply is that I don't reckon you necessarily need an out-and-out defender. You know, a, a, a decent all-round player can tackle, can yeah. can stop people. As you'll see, I've got tacklers, and that's what you really need rather than a, a sort of centre-back as such. So I've gone, and this is the one I pondered Dean Keats, a toss of a coin, I thought, let's get modern. Jay Harris, because Jay can tackle, he can pass, yeah. and when there's that lad who's... You know, sort of giving your mate a kick that the referee hasn't noticed. He'll make sure he gets sorted out when the referee doesn't notice. <laughs> so I reckon Jay, Jay would be a big presence in the five-a-side hall, I think. Um, also, another midfielder who can pass and tackle, Darren Ferguson. I just think, yeah. like, like you're saying, technique. Well, he's going to be... He's, he's going to be popular CBD. choice. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. popular choice. And then two... Right, one's definitely not been named. The other one... I can't remember if he's been named. I think he has been, but not much. Right, the one that hasn't been named uh, from the 70s, I've gone Graham Whittle. Now, Graham Whittle was a well midfielder or striker playing really up front in the, the sort of great 77, 78 team. The reason I've gone for him is that he had an absolutely phenomenal shot on him. He's a great, good player, but he could nail a shot from distance. Now, that's handy. If you're playing against a good team with a good keeper, being able to catch him out by absolutely nailing it in the corner from distance when he's not expecting the shot is useful. And if you if you're close in and you nail it like that, oh, good luck saving it. You know, so I think Whittle, good player, but also that powerful shot would be useful. And then my striker, I've gone Wanugate. 
just thinking a little fella who hangs around the edge of the area who finds a little bits of space sudden little acceleration and then someone like Ferguson Harris plays him in and before you know it's pop first touch bang bottom corner and Ugarte scores so that's that's why it's not a ledger centre in Wrexham that he's playing in as long as the ledger centre in Hartlepool or it's got to be <laughs> exactly right exactly right yeah 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 we refuse to play at home uh, on the grounds that might incriminate us but uh, I mean, I was thinking, here's uh, uh, an obscure one in some ways. One of the best, you said about technical players, one of the very best technical players I ever saw for Exxon was Mark Wilson, who was a midfielder mm. on loan from Man United in the late 90s. So he had about half a season with us. We just missed out on the playoffs. Um, but he also played in the team that won the first Welsh Premier Cup. Oh, he was a class player. Oh, he was beautiful to watch. He had... Um, you know, when you, uh, and that's going to sound stupid, this, so I apologise in advance, but sometimes you see somebody and you can just see their class without actually them having to do anything out of the ordinary. I remember seeing Fabregas playing for Arsenal as a sort of 17 year old, and just the way he moved around the pitch, just that first touch, the way he received the ball, the way he glided over the pitch. You can just see this lad's class. Um, yeah. And I know it sounds strange this, to use this comparison. I remember watch, seeing a very young Stephen Hendry playing snooker and thinking the same, just his, his sort of liquid movements, his smooth action just was different from everyone else, just technically perfect. And Wilson was like that. I mean, Wilson was, I mean, this is when we were in, well, the old third division, way too good for that. He was a really good player. And he just came in, and oh, just the quality of his touch. He scored goals in midfield. His, his passing, his, his movement like Fabregas, just a, sort of floating on the air, almost. Like the only Wrexham player, apart from him, I can recall that really made me feel that was Brian Hughes. His smooth yeah. movements up and down the pitch. Just, you know, that there's, there's no effort in keeping the ball in control near you. You're just, you're, <laughs> you're at one with the ball. <laughs> what lovely player he'd be unbelievable that, in his final sighting that, yeah that, that type of football is someone who's just obviously so naturally gifted at football mm. and the, those sort of gliders you can't teach that mm. technique can you you can't teach someone to be that good at football technically so yeah that, that's that's, mm. that's a brilliant shout that's an absolutely brilliant shout he was a lovely player he was I'll tell you what and it was a shame because obviously we were never going to keep him no way, you know, he was close to the first team at United. So that's the difference, isn't it? That now you know, things are set up differently. You've got a youth academy in the first team or something separate in the Premier League. Um, and you get youth players generally coming in on loan or unwanted players coming in on loan. And then by the time we get to our level, it really is youth players. But, you know, in, in those days, you wouldn't have that sort of setup. And, and your reserve team was quite close to the first team in the, in the top division. And Wilson yeah. was fairly close to United. So I did play first-team games for United. And then they sold him to Middlesbrough. And he did well for Middlesbrough, but didn't stay there all that long. And it's very strange. He sort of had a bit of a nomadic sort of middle-of-the-football-league career, which he was better than that. I don't think it was anything to do with attitude or anything like that. You know, I don't, I just, just for some reason, things didn't quite work out like that. He went to FC Dallas for a bit. Quality player, but oh my gosh, if we'd have kept him, which we never were going to keep him, he was too good for us. United wanted him back, but oh, if we had kept him, my word, that would have been something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe an alternative five aside for me would be uh, 
Gavin Ward in goal, Sylvia oh. Spam, Sufo, um, <laughs> Sufo, uh, who else would be a crazy one to put in? Malango. Oh, hello. Uh, <laughs> and who else? Churro Sandman. Like, yeah. <laughs> there, there we go. There, there's the there's a crazy five-a-side team. Hammond Oni. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. Mm. Sufo would be great because he would just stand yeah. in the middle of the pitch and dictate play. You know, Junior and Tammy, another funny. Oh, well, that'd be interesting. You didn't have a goal for that, did you? They they seemed remarkably on a different wavelength, considering the fact that they were sort of expected to work well together. Although I think that was just a lazy. Oh, they're both from Cameroon. They they'll link up well together, just like any two Welsh people would be good at playing football together. I'd like to mention some players from the from the current squad as well. Yeah. Um, I think Rhysol Johnson would be fantastic in a five side team. Yeah. I think Jamie Record would be as well. Um, Harris, yeah, you mentioned him. Uh, the Orangas, Kwame Thomas, I think they'd all be fantastic yeah. at five side too. Well, I, I'd be worried for Rhysol Johnson because there's a wall at the end of the pitch. And, uh, <laughs> he, he just, you know, he'll just be flying out of the wing Won't be able to stop himself But I'll tell you that the current player that sticks in my head And I was really, this is the person Apart from that Harris Keats toss of the coin That I was seriously tempted to put in um, And change my team It's Paul Rutherford Imagine yeah. Paul Rutherford playing five-a-side with him It'd be a nightmare if you're against him And a dream if you're playing with him Imagine the other side got the ball you're going to play running at you. It's okay, because Rutherford will be right next to you. And then they play it across the other side of the pitch. The lad on the other side, he'll be okay, because Rutherford's down right next to him, because he will. He just can't stop running. He's got such energy. And he would just, yeah. he'd just be absolutely everywhere on that pitch throughout the whole game. Everyone else will be on their knees. And he'd be like, I've done my warm-up now. When does the game start? He'd just be everywhere. So the, I, I was tempted to, to throw him into the team. Just because, my God, you'd have an, it'd be like having an extra player. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that's the, that's another good shout. Honestly, there's um, there's so many, there's so many you could put in, isn't there? Mm, oh yeah, it's a great, it's a great one, that man. Yeah. Thanks to Jamie Carragher's podcast for giving me the idea. <laughs> oh no, you're gonna get sued now. <laughs> We're gonna slip it under radar, and now you've exposed oh, it. Oh, shocking! What? Uh, well, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure he's listening, and uh, I hope he enjoyed. I wonder, I wonder what his five-a-side record. Well, uh, he don't. He'd just dream of a team of characters, wouldn't he? Oh well, yeah. Hey, not bad, not bad. I'm, um, well, I'm getting a word from a lawyer that we need to stop the podcast now before we say anything else about Jamie Carragher. Um, so. We'll try and keep him sweet by uh, ending the show with a, a fellow Scouse five-a-side legend. But before we do that, Shay, thank you so much for getting me sued and for joining me. Brilliant, as always. And we'll sign out, as we always do, with Jamie Carragher Tribute Act, Jay Harris and his Hollywood send-off. This is Jay Harris and you're listening to Dragonheart Radio. <laughs> This is the Final Whistle Podcast from the Wrexham AFC media team.